Hello and welcome to FML. This is the seventh episode. How are you today, Emery? I'm pretty good, Nicole. I actually just realized I do have a funny anecdote in no way related to finance that I can tell for our, the introduction of this podcast. Oh, okay, so we're not even going to pretend that this is spontaneous anymore. <laughs> no. <laughs> we obviously have to plan this. You think I'm pulling statistics out of thin air? No, 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 no. Uh, no, I meant, the, I meant the first shot, like. Oh, sorry. Well, I we didn't prep this story. This is actually spontaneous. Okay, go for it. What's okay. what happened this week or what's your story? Well, it's it's still in progress in that I ordered a pair of shoes, right? And mm-hmm. the apartment that I live in is in a house. Like they took a house and split it up into apartments, mm-hmm. which means when we get packages, it's super annoying because people ring the doorbell to the house, but not to either of the apartments. So more often than not, they never deliver anything to our house. And I got really sick of this. And I found out on a bunch of websites, you can like order stuff and send it to a pickup location for a package. And the yes. closest pickup location to me is like a news agent's, I don't know, like down on the corner, right? And I was like, mm-hmm. sick, I'm going to send, I bought shoes, shoes that might be ugly, but I have to see them in person to determine how ugly they are and to figure <laughs> out if it's like quirky ugly or ugly ugly. Anyway, mm-hmm. so I have ordered this pair of shoes and they got delivered on Monday. I have now gone twice to this new news agents. Like in, and online, it says they're open until eight. And I rocked up there at like six, twice, both times, closed and locked up. So the question is, am I ever going to get my shoes? And does this news agent <laughs> actually function ever? That is unfortunate. But like, wait, so why didn't you, are you afraid of your neighbors robbing the shoes? No, what ends up happening is like the on post comes to deliver them and then no one answers the door because they don't ring either the apartment bell. So mm. we can't hear it. So then they just take it to the the fulfillment center, which is like half an hour from my house. And I'm like, I don't want to trek all the way there. I'll trek to the news agents on the corner. Uh, that makes but sense. But now it's, oh, okay. maybe, it's maybe worse. Like, I'm never going to get these shoes. <laughs> it's bad. So other than tracking down news agent open times, how else was your week? It was all right. Like, we recorded... We've recorded two exterior podcasts this week. It's a very busy week podcast-wise. This... I, mm. I, I'm... I'm scheduled to record five this week. That's a bit much now. Yeah, you're very in demand. Um, yeah. We're glad to have you. We're very lucky to have you on FML, really. But yeah, we did do... <laughs> so we've done one with a podcast called um, Take Two with Debbie Shaw, um, which is very exciting. And then we've got another one scheduled for tomorrow at four o'clock. Uh, Friday at four o'clock is a tough time, but in fairness the podcast is based in New York so we did have to kind of suit their times and that's called Successful AF so if you do hear myself and Anne-Marie on those two podcasts we'd love um you know some comments and yeah feedback as well and like you'll see you'll listen to us there on the upcoming episodes and yeah we'll share the links on our Instagram because they're exciting this is their first two external pods isn't it? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Also, yeah. I did not know that the recording is at 4 p.m. on a Friday. That well, is... it's in your... Honestly, sometimes I feel like you're PA. It's in your calendar. I'm <laughs> <laughs> like... Yeah. You, yeah, you kind of are. Like, you have to organize all the recordings. But, like... Mm. Damn. Yeah. Okay. Well. Well, we I'm going out today. <laughs> if Amory calls in sick tomorrow, we all know why. <laughs> <laughs> so... Then um, my week was actually, my weekend, I should say, was really good. Thanks for asking. Um, Sorry. <laughs> I was down um, I was down at the Algarve um, in Portugal. I was in a town called Lagos, which is lovely. If any of you have ever been there, you'll know um, the kind of, the lovely beaches it has, like the coves. Um, 
it's quite like a surf place really holiday destination it was great everyone was like very good vibes I just love being in holiday destinations because I feel like everyone's in a good mood like so I live in Lisbon so I, I was on a weekend away but like everyone was probably there for like a week or two or traveling around and that was one of their yeah. like stops loads of Americans there actually Re- it must be like a massive like <laughs> um place for them to go which I like that fun. you were like sh- shout out some of your people were there yeah well actually <laughs> you know what we should say we should say this because I've always wanted to ask you this you know the way loads of Amer- Americans get slagged for saying they're Irish but you are actually Irish, but you have an American accent. Are you kind of afraid to say, oh, I'm Irish because you're going to get like what everyone else gets and they usually say that? Yeah, I tend to always, I never, I would never like outwardly, if someone asks like, oh, where are you from? I would say I'm American. Like I wouldn't outwardly say that I'm Irish, but I then like qualify, I like qualify it if someone is, is yeah. like, oh, like how long have you been living in Ireland? I'm like, oh, I've been here for seven years. They're like, oh, and I'm like, and my mom is Irish and my whole extended family lives here. And then they're kind of yeah. like, oh, okay. And then they're like, so you're basically Irish. And I'm like, yeah, but I allow them to reach that conclusion. I never. Yeah. That's kind of sad that like that's just been taken away from you by annoying Americans that like have their great, great, great grandfather's cousin was. Yeah. Had a layover <laughs> in Dublin airport. Like didn't. like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay um no but it's all right because if they get there by themselves they're like very excited and welcoming but you don't want to go in straight off the bat and just be like oh i'm irish and they're like "Mm, not yeah like not sounding like that you're not yeah because when i promote this podcast i always say like oh it's an irish pod it's an irish pod um and i wonder people like well nicole's only irish and marie's not irish (laughs) so this is it guys and marie is also irish well we could you could have a you could do an instagram poll yeah what accuse that what like do you think do you think (laughs) Marie's Irish or not yeah that could be how we determine citizenship in Ireland from now on we'll just do (laughs) Instagram polls perfect yeah there you go okay so getting into the more serious stuff and we're gonna let you know what this episode is about so it's all about gender economic inequality and how the pandemic has set women back around 30 years in catching up to men um, but also, Amory's kind of found that the crisis, aka the pandemic, has also encouraged more women than ever to start investing. And I think this whole women inequality thing is quite topical at the moment with everything going on in the US. Um, but anyway, yeah, Amory, you've done lots of research on this. And I actually think uh, we both kind of looked into this topic when we started the women in investing series um march 2021 for the women for women's history month mm-hmm. so we'd only been in the company like a while and we were like oh like women's history's month is coming up like this is a good opportunity to share content about um like female investors and the gender wealth gap and um, pay divide and all those kind of things but um so kind of tell us first of all tell us why the pandemic was kind of so harmful for women yeah so well there are kind of three main trends that we saw during the pandemic that seem to be exacerbating the wealth gap and slowing down progress and closing it um it's probably also important to say kind of right off the bat that the process of closing the wage gap prior to the pandemic is expected to be very very slow i think like Mm. i remember reading estimates from the world from um i think it was the un they were like oh we predict it'll take over 200 years and we were like what so that has that rate has gotten even slower um which is mm. a big bummer but those kind of three <laughs> it's a it's a big bummer it's maybe more serious it's than a big that bummer, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah 
(laughs) (laughs) sorry about that we should Um, be laughing about this this is about what's like i know yeah um but there so there were three trends that went on during the pandemic that exacerbated uh issues that were already existing prior to the pandemic slowed down um this rate of improving the gender wage gap so number one is that um, women were needed were often needed at home which meant that they left paying jobs to go fulfill unpaid labor tasks um in in the home um we kind of saw this across the board it was actually pretty interesting i i saw some figures uh in the economist that talked about that the highest uh, concentration of this type of behavior was actually in Central and Eastern Europe. And in a lot of cultures um, in East Asia, the Middle East and in Africa, there was like actually very little change, um, mm. which is probably a reflection of how those communities and those cultures were already existing prior to the pandemic. I think that they have, they're often a bit more of collectivist thinkers. They think more about their communities. So they tend to have more support structures in place um, when disasters like these tend to strike. And I think in more individualistic societies, it ends up being that you know, only certain individuals within a family unit are expected to take time off work. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, mm-hmm. But overall in the world, it was predict. It has been found that 10% of women worldwide had to exit the labor force in order to care for someone in their family, which is mm. pretty significant. And 26% of women reported a loss of work during the pandemic um, compared to only 20% of men globally. And that was taken in September of 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, and really... Like this just it forces women out of the workplace, but then also I'd say it would make it even harder down the line for them to rejoin the workforce. I'm sure as as anyone who's kind of taken a break from working knows when you go into that interview afterwards, you have that big gap in your resume. That's always seems to be a talking point. And so mm-hmm. I would say we'll we continue to see the impacts of this probably for the next several months, if not several years. So that was kind of the first big trend. Um The second one is that women disproportionately tend to work in sectors that experienced heavy layoffs during the pandemic, particularly in the early days. This is stuff like the service sector or hospitality. Um, Women tend to work in those roles more significantly than men. Um, And so, again, being laid off initially in the pandemic, having this big gap on your resume and then needing to re-enter the workforce. And to be honest, a lot of those sectors are now the sectors that have, you know, big unionization movements are talking about a compression of wages, not being able to keep up with the cost of living. And so I would yeah. say probably for a lot of impacted women, they're having to make that difficult decision of, do I even want to re-enter this sector that I was working in if I know that mm. it won't be able to sustain my way of life? Um, so that is also a big long-term factor that will continue to probably to play out for the next five to 10 years. And then- Finally, we have the trend that's always humming in the background that we had before the pandemic, which just kind of general misogyny when it comes to paying women, which can be Mm -hmm. seen, you know, in an overall trend. But even when we take a look at individual sectors. So um, I went and had a look at kind of differences in pay within, you know, certain qualifications or within um, certain job titles and something that was pretty astounding was that Payscale found that the largest uncontrolled pay gap for women is actually women with MBAs, which you would think, oh, you have a master's in business, you know, you think you'd be quite well off. But they actually only take home 76 cents for every dollar that a man makes uh, with an MBA. Um, And the smallest gap can be found within law. So a woman with a law degree will make 89 cents for every man, for every dollar that a man makes. That's really Uh, interesting. Yeah. And uh, I I wonder why law. I read and some people... And some analysts believe it just has to do with the kind of 
structure differences within uh, these sectors. So uh, apparently within law, they have very, very structured ideas of, of, of pay. Like you go in mm. being told here, you're on this level of the company and this is the pay that we give everyone on that level. And then it's like quite transparent of as you move up, this will be your salary. Mm. Um, whereas in business, like working in business or working in finance, there tends not to be um, that, that level of transparency. I suppose lawyers know the law. Yeah, probably. Yeah, pro <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, they are probably worried about some sort of lawsuit. Yeah, um, I was going to say that as well. Like, I think maybe if like female lawyers found out, they would be like, "I'm suing you." Yeah, you're done. Probably. Um, and mm -hmm. I guess also like within the business world, I don't know. Like, whenever we discuss like business and finance, and, and you know these type of, it always makes you think of of Mad Men, like men in suits in the 1950s. Mm. But oftentimes, that show. it is a great show. Yeah. Um, oftentimes the pay in those sectors tends to be done via bonuses, which are often done on like a more discretionary basis. So that can be things like working longer hours or something you hear really commonly is, oh, men are better at asking for raises, um, mm. which is kind of a ridiculous thing to to like place the burden of the wage gap on women not being proactive enough and not being involved enough in their jobs because that topic came up maybe two weeks ago on a stock club podcast when we were discussing Sheryl Sandberg from Facebook because she was kind of an early pioneer of that form of feminism like hey women like solve all your problems by just speaking up more um yeah. And so I went and actually read up on a study that found that women and men actually ask for raises the same amount, like this sa with the same frequency. Um, women are just given them uh, less frequently. So, yeah, yeah. so it's it, it has nothing to do with like women advocating for themselves and 100 percent to do with just our general sexism in the workplace. So yeah. those and I also of... think, sorry, I also think um, a little bit about it is like men are more likely to go to like social events and like you know go on like golf like maybe with their managers yeah. and do those things where it's women are more likely to have to go home and maybe look after children look after the house look after maybe an elderly parent or things like that so I remember reading that like that's another factor as well that like men have more time to socialize and then when mm -hmm. it comes to getting a pay rise who's the person that gets it it's like who management knows better who they're friendlier yeah. with has the face-to-face -face time yeah yeah that's another like yeah. small I'd say it is a small contributing factor but I th I'd say it does happen a lot like in the business world or, like mm. the investing world where they do kind of like play golf and stuff like that I would like you see it's kind of a cycle then it becomes this thing of oh women don't have the opportunity to be as face-to-face -face with management because they need mm. to go home and fulfill like unpaid tasks in the home oh but those unpaid mm -hmm. tasks also mean that they can have you know, are oftentimes more vulnerable to needing to leave the workforce in order to fulfill something. You know, you just go round and round and round, um, mm -hmm. which I'm really like the pandemic is a stressor to yeah. a lot of societal factors that we know are going on, like are going on anyway. Like our society and our economy are not set up to provide equality to women at the very foundation. And so this is just mm -hmm. kind of exacerbating those conditions and and highlighting them more so to us. Definitely. So we've kind of talked about maybe inequality and in pay and things like that. But um, specifically, like for the pandemic, you were saying that more women started investing during the pandemic. But I guess we should kind of talk about why they weren't already, like why there is mm. such a, a gap um, or like a difference between how many women invest, how many men invest. And um, I think it is like 80 percent of investors worldwide are men. Mm -hmm. And like obviously that that like that's different because it is global. Um, I'm not sure what the stats are for um 
for Ireland specifically but like I do know myself like well who, whoever like when I see go on social media who do I see talking about investing in stocks it's usually men like you know mm-hmm. it's getting better but um yeah I think there's lots of like reasons why women aren't weren't mm-hmm. or weren't investing in the first place but I suppose one of them is like our risk attitude yeah yeah and- kind of that desire to like make money and then hold on to it and not not mm-hmm. kind of wanting to involve any sort of risk just leaving it in a in a savings account um which yeah. i really think i remember doing research on that and, and i think it often comes down to an educational issue um mm-hmm. i remember reading uh it was a, it was a woman who like had started a foundation for providing investment and kind of finance education for women in in high school to kind of prepare them to go off and and go to college and then like get proper jobs and she talked about that within family units it tends to be that financial conversations and life planning conversations tend to happen with sons and not daughters mm-hmm. and she was like that is like step 1 of fixing this problem is when your kids are young and they're beginning to become aware of money you have to start talking to them about you know, investment when they're 16 or 17, you know, this can't be something that you're trying to backtrack on when they're in their twenties and they're already making money. Yeah, for sure. And I think we've definitely said this on a podcast before, but you know, that notion of like, um, I say, okay, risk might stop us from investing in the first place, but when Mm. we do get started, our attitude towards risk actually really helps us because it helps us become a better long-term investor because we're not gonna, you know, act irrationally and we're gonna, um, like maybe not invest in as many like risky assets like meme stocks or nfts we can kind of like see the future benefits of holding stocks longer and um and things like that so do you think that's kind of the main reasons why women are really good long-term investors is it just our tendency to be kind of risk adverse yeah i also think it's just it could also be the the thing of, of just not having the time to obsess over it. Like I'd say mm. the way that most people, most women approach their finances is, right, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to make a plan. I'm going to, this is the amount of money I'm going to invest every month or I'm going to save. We're going to set that up. We're going to automate it. I'm going to pick out my, st- like my stock every month or my S&P 500 index fund. And we're just mm. going to do it. That'll be it. And we're done. I'm not going to think about it. Yeah. Whereas I think like the more time that you have to like obsess over mm-hmm. your stocks in the earth like the big thing that i know emmett is always talking about and trying to tell people is like you don't need to check your investment account every day mm-hmm. and so i'm wondering is it just the way sometimes that women approach investing that they're they think of it as a tool or an avenue towards retirement mm-hmm. or towards you know having enough money to send your kids to college rather than mm-hmm. sometimes i think approaching investing as a hobby means that it can be kind of difficult to be a long-term investor because it's always on your mind. Yeah. And that's kind of what we tell like um, users at my wall street is that you can just block out the daily news, you know, to some extent is that you Mm -hmm. shouldn't be obsessing over the news. Like obviously like we report on the big things and then it's important to check back in with your investments, like say after earnings reports and stuff like that. But you don't, if you're a long-term investor, you don't really need to be watching the stock market every day and keeping up with all of the news because it's just there's way too much and yeah. I, I think another point an important point is that you know there's a lack of representation in investing mm-hmm. for women as well you know it's still considered quite a boys club um but yeah we actually talked about this point um kind of in detail in episode one of fml so if people are interested check out that episode um 
it goes into kind of in depth about women investors and why we're amazing basically there you go <laughs> so Anne-Marie when we kind of were chatting about doing this um episode on you know gender inequality um you had this phrase that the pandemic was a real moment of economic disparity mm-hmm. can you kind of elaborate on what that means yeah. And I, I think like we're in a, a moment of economic disparity across the board. Like I don't think it's just concentrated on women, but I think it is worse for women. And what I mean by it is I think the pandemic has pushed women into one of two economic extremes. Like they're either doing very well or they're doing very poorly. And right. this really comes down to the labor conditions that the pandemic caused. So women who prior to the pandemic would have been in the upper middle classes to the upper classes uh, were often working in jobs that provided them, you know, with a good salary and benefits. And they were also probably the jobs most well suited to adjusting to a work from home environment. So it meant that, you know, for these individuals, they really weren't all that impacted by the pandemic in a monetary sense. You know, they just went home and continued to work their jobs and continue to get the salary they always had. And in some ways, from a savings perspective and investment perspective benefited because they didn't have anywhere to spend their money. You know, they couldn't go on vacation. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose, you know, we did see a big increase in furniture spending and uh, spending at home Depot. So obviously they were doing some sort of renovations, but I don't think there was as many opportunities to kind of spend on entertainment uh, per se. So we, yeah. we, we in the post pandemic world see a tremendous amount. And I mean, a tremendous, like trillions of dollars are sitting in savings accounts um, from people in the, in the upper and upper middle classes in the United States. So, so these mm-hmm. women have done quite well. Um, but on the other side of the spectrum are women who, like, as we mentioned, are probably working in the service industry or hospitality who could have been laid off at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and were kind of kept ticking over by things like the stimulus checks and the child tax benefit, both of mm-hmm. which have now expired in the United States, unfortunately, um, particularly the child tax benefit, I think has a huge impact. It, it was, it's something like, like tens of millions of children were lifted out of poverty because of the child tax benefit. And it has been, uh, been allowed mm-hmm. to expire by Congress, which is a real shame. Um, yeah. And now we're in this terrible environment of inflation and wage stagnation. And it means that these women are really getting left behind because they're experiencing a pretty terrible economic squeeze. Um, and it's really ridiculous sometimes for us to have this conversation of like, oh, women, like, why aren't you investing? But like, they're not making yeah. enough money to save. Like, they're not making enough money to invest. Um, yeah. Like, and they're living paycheck to paycheck. And it's only going to get harder uh, if inflation continues. So that's kind of what I mean is, is we can kind of stand around and celebrate more and more women investing. But undoubtedly, those women that are investing were those that were quite well off prior to the pandemic. And the women who weren't so well off are now, I think, really struggling. I think this is going to be quite a turning point in terms of um, economic disparity between the classes, which is Mm -hmm. was already has been an issue probably for the last several decades in the United States. Yeah. I definitely agree with that like I think yeah it's it's easy for us to say um because we do have maybe a little, a little bit of spare income like oh you know mm. just invest 20 to 100 dollars a month but for yeah. a lot of people that's that's too much they don't have it so yeah. what can they do and then that's it's just like really really unfair that they, they're just kind of like trapped out of the benefits of investing and that's how you create generational wealth and then it, mm. the cycle just continues yes definitely so for the very lucky few of us that did start that could start investing in the pandemic why do you think so many women that's when they were like right I'm gonna start now 
Yeah. Well, so just kind of some stats on that. So roughly two in five, 42% of current female investors took the plunge either in 2020 or 2021. That's really significant. That's a huge proportion of, of, of female investors. Um, and that data was collected by eToro, which is like a massive investing app in the US. I actually think they're available in Ireland as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of analysts have said that it really boils down to time just having yeah. the benefit of time um, to be able to sit down and learn what investing means, what the benefits are, how easy compound interest is, how kind of, you know, hands off and automated you can make your investing if that's what you choose to do. Um, and so that is very lovely to see that like the the problem isn't, I don't know, like sometimes we hear these ridiculous theories about, oh, women aren't interested in finance and they're not interested in investing because biologically they don't like math or something, you know, like some really <laughs> horrible, like, idea but like no it's just like yeah like women you know it's just like women have to fulfill more unpaid labor in the household and therefore do not have the time to like sit down and you know be due diligent and do their research and feel good about an investment decision and that is fair enough the other and and we're like because of generations having like not not as much money as men to invest then it's not like a thing that's commonly discussed in like female friendship groups and it's not something that your grandmother is gonna sit down and talk to you about like you know it's more likely that a guy in the family will you know talk Mm -hmm. to his dad or his grandfather so like there's there's so many reasons it's not down to like oh we just don't want to make money like of course we want to make money like that's why you see like there's you know like more women than ever are becoming like CEOs more women than ever are putting off having children to later in their life because they Mm -hmm. want to focus on their career and their like their or their business and they want to make money like it's that's definitely not it (laughs) yeah I also think like some of it can be um credited towards just access to investment and investment education Mm -hmm. has dramatically improved probably in the last five to ten years like I'm always thinking about Emmett discussing when he and his father first got into investing which investing truthfully is is not popular or common in Ireland. And it definitely wasn't when Emin started investing in the 90s. And he mm-hmm. was like, yeah, you have to call the broker on the phone in New York. And it was $20 to make any kind of trade or buy any kind of stock. And he was like, yeah, I'd be buying like 50 euros worth of a stock and paying a 20 euro, like 20 euro fee on it. And Sounds I was like, easy. what is the point of that? And mm-hmm. so really having like fee free brokerage apps, I think mm-hmm. has really kind of opened up um, the market and kind of level the playing field for individuals. So I think that has also been beneficial and that's beneficial for everyone across the board, men yeah. and women. Yeah. Yeah. And I also like, it's, it's not just that like people had more time during the pandemic, but like we also had like, you know, the meme stock craze and that yeah. got invested more popular for everyone. Like not just, um, mm-hmm. not just men, but like women were also seeing things on like, you know, social media about these stocks going like so high and it just became invest and like it just made investing so much more popular like it was it was crazy like my wall street saw and like really high downloads when all this was going on Mm -hmm. maybe from people who wanted to kind of do the opposite of what (laughs) investing in meme stocks is like they wanted like to know about investing but like do it like less risky (laughs) yeah it it was definitely a time where investing was brought to the forefront of our public mind Mm -hmm. and everyone was going oh what's this going on but apparently that happens all the time like interest in investing is very cyclical where when the market is doing well and stocks are up everyone's getting ready to invest everyone has money set aside everyone's open in a brokerage account and then as we enter a bear market which we currently are we are in a bear market people pack up shop and they're like no why would i invest the market is always falling i can't make any money and it's just allowing that kind of short-term pessimism to get to take it to like take advantage of you um Mm -hmm. 
so yeah, it definitely was something like that. However, silver lining, silver lining. So all these women started investing in 2020 and 2021 in a great bull market. You know, everything was going up. Great time to be an investor. Feels pretty bad right now. But um, eToro surveyed these women, these new investors, and exactly half, 50% of women in the survey said that they plan to hold their investments for six years or longer. So that is putting them on track to be a nice buy and hold investor. So that is nice to see. Half of them are thinking, Mm -hmm. right, long-term horizon. What's a stock I want to hold for at least six years? Um, So that, that that was good to see. That's great to see that they're kind of on that long-term investor mindset. Yeah. So that's what we always try to push. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now it's time for the girl boss of the week. Girl boss of the week. So Amory, who is it this week? Who is our seventh girl boss? Well, no, it's not. Sorry. It's not seven. No, we've had a few interviews where we don't do it. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, well, okay, so there, it was a, it was hotly contested this week. We had um, many, fa- many, many public failings. Um, so yeah, we had a few. We had a debate about who this should be because but yeah. we have to keep it stock related and not yeah. political. <laughs> I know there were there are six individuals that sit in a branch of the U.S. government that we considered uh, for the title this week, but instead we decided to go with Robinhood CEO Vlad Tenev. What did he do? He lied to uh, a House committee that was examining Robin Hood in the wake of the GameStop fiasco in January of 2021. Uh, basically, he was called in front of, of uh, all these representatives in February of 2021. And he said that the company was, quote, always comfortable with its liquidity. But it turns out in an investigation that was released this week, that was untrue. See, Robinhood teetered dangerously towards default when its daily collateral deposit requirements suddenly skyrocketed in the wake of GameStop at AMC and all that stuff. The Depository Trust and Clearing Corporation, which is the DTCC, um, they are responsible for clearing and settling all U.S. equity transactions. Basically, what happens here is when you buy and sell a stock, like it's not an instantaneous thing that has to be cleared over a day or two. Um, Right, So basically, uh, January 28th, the DTCC called up Robinhood and say, hey, you you owe us $3.7 billion, <laughs> which at the time, Robinhood had had only deposited about 700000 to the DTCC. So I don't really get that. I don't really get how, how do they owe the money, though? It was basically because like the the way that the short squeezes happened was that a lot of money was moving really, really rapidly back Mm -hmm. and forth, back and forth. And like, it was a tremendous amount of trading volume. And so basically like Robinhood was allowing so many trades per day that they weren't keeping up with the amount of money that they needed to deposit in order um, to basically ensure that they had access to the public markets. Um, And so yeah, they needed to deposit. Oh, they were given like six hours notice and they were told you need to deposit $3 billion right now, um, which basically like the, the money sits there. It's basically just to prove that Robinhood has the liquidity to cover um, all those trades. Trades, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Robinhood did not have $3 billion to give. They said we could give you $600 million, um, but that's as much as we can. So 
the it is DT- like a drop in the ocean. <laughs> yeah, and that was not enough. So actually, the DTCC granted them a discretionary and unexplained waiver. That's like what it said in the investigation documents. No one really knows like why the DTCC granted them this. Um, probably because they were worried of some sort of economic meltdown, if we're being honest. Um, and they were able to get out of it. But um, this means that Vlad Tenev lied in February of 2021 um, in front of the House committee when he said, oh, no, everything is fine. We were always comfortable with their liquidity um, and a bunch of emails emails from within Robinhood came out and it showed that he was basically told that the company was teetering towards complete um, collapse. Their chief operating officer, Gretchen Howard, sent him an email in which Tenev stated, uh, uh, telling Tenev that the company needed to act quickly and uh, and have extensive crisis management. So uh, it's not doing well. The amount of scandals that Robinhood has been in, like, in the Uh, last shocking shocking and it really does boil down to the fact that like their business model just doesn't work like they only make money and do well when people are trading really riskily like when Mm. they're uh you know trading on margin or or they're you know going after meme stocks or they're buying dogecoin it's they make a tremendous amount of their money just selling and buying dogecoin it's ridiculous they're just and there was um there was a really sad story about like an 18 year old user who was um buying on margin with robin hood and he racked up so much debt that um he actually like took his own life and then the family mm-hmm. sued Robin Hood. Yeah, like, and it was an error. He he didn't owe that money. It was like that the like it had they had it had glitched and he like it's just yeah. It's 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 so ridiculous and hypocritical because Robin Hood loves to brand itself as oh we're the brokerage of the people. Like we're bringing mm-hmm. equality and access to the markets and like in truth no like Robin Hood needs people to act completely irresponsible in order to make money and it's just yeah ridiculous yeah it's it it, like they are the company kind of to blame for this idea that investing is gambling yeah you know what I mean like yeah because investing isn't gambling but when you do it like that it sure does look like it and it's really reckless um and dangerous so they've really like but they're still so popular like it's crazy they are decreasing in popularity. I think their latest quarterly report, it was like um, usage was down like 75% or something like that. So the bear market is kind of wiping out um, a lot of those meme traders from 2020 and 2021. So hopefully they don't get too scared of investing. Yeah. Okay. So that's a wrap on this episode. We really hope you enjoyed and please send us in any questions that you'd like us to answer on the next podcast. Please tune in in two weeks time when we will be discussing, I think, the second coming of NFTs. And by second coming, we mean we're going we're gonna to maybe tear them down a bit and, and, and re-examine them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then if you want to follow us on socials, please do. We would really appreciate it. You can find us on Instagram at FunMyLifePodcast, on Twitter at MyWallStreetHQ, and on TikTok at MyWallStreet.com or on our very brand new TikTok account dedicated solely to FML, which is at Anne-Marie and Nicole FML. And finally, if you are ready to start your investing journey and are looking for resources, check out My Wall Street's Getting Started podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts or download the My Wall Street Learn app. Both are linked below. If you want access to our list of stocks handpicked by our analysts and lots of other interesting finance and business content, download the My Wall Street app and create your free account today. So that's all from me and Anne-Marie. We hope you enjoyed listening. Bye.